today. I just wonder, have you ever heard the phrase Western civilization? I'm sure you have. It comes up every now and then, you know, normally in history books, news reports, university lectures, things like that. And even though it sounds a little bit dry, it's actually something that's shaped and continues to shape all of our lives. It's to do with the shared history and culture of European nations and their offshoots, places like the UK, New Zealand and, of course, us here in Australia. Today on The Big Interview, we're going to explore what it is, some of the notable achievements and why it's worth studying. Well, it's big. Professor Simon Haynes is the CEO of the Ramsey Centre, which is an institution that seeks to advance education by promoting the study of Western civilization. Simon's been good enough to come on and join us for this discussion today. Thanks for doing that, Simon, and good afternoon. Hello, Paul. Um, pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Is it possible to define Western civilization? Do the experts agree on a clear definition? Uh, very complicated question, Paul. We've only got a few minutes and we could take weeks on this one. I mean, the West is a very complicated set of overlapping stories, overlapping cultures, peoples, languages, ideas, events, famous texts and writings, many different uh, nations, really. No, no single clearly identifiable essence or centre, except it seems to be basically European. Uh, and essentially Roman in many ways, although there's a lot of overlapping debts to other civilizations, including especially the Middle East. So a long story, but still we, we kind of recognize what we mean, I think, all of us when we talk about the West, the history, the geography, and the religions. So how far back do we have to go to find the first seed? The first seed, well, probably seeds rather than seeds singular. So I think the, um, the universities that we partner with to put on degrees or majors in Western civilization tend to start the story from two places. One is pre-classical Greece. So the name of Homer would be familiar to you and your audiences. The Iliad is very often seen as the starting point of Western writing and literature. But on the other hand, the, the, um, the, the, the civilization and peoples of the Middle East and the origins of the Old Testament on the other, on the other side of the coin. So biblical on the one hand, uh, particularly Middle East and Old Testament, and on the other hand, Homeric and post-Homeric um, classical writing going forward into obviously Rome uh, and then the medieval period, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment and so on. Simon, so, mean, which of the two words is more important, the Western part or the civilization bit? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, I think they're worth thinking about separately, and you've already asked me about what, what the West kind of means in most people's minds. The word civilization is a funny one because it seems to arouse more hostility um, nowadays than it used to, uh, and it's very important. I mean, again, going back to the origins of the word, a civilization is essentially kind of a city-based uh, um, entity or collection of peoples and that's that's a kind of intrinsic to the meaning of any civilization in other words it's a denser collection of population than would normally be the case across a region it focuses around a city so you can think about you know not just Rome but you can think about Istanbul uh, which is also an ancient um, uh, western city as well as an eastern one uh, or you could think about Shanghai and Beijing and the, and the, the centres of Chinese civilization, or you could think about some of the early cities that grew up in, uh, in, in Central America, in Mexico and in South America, nearly always city-based. And that's the, that's the source of the word. Aggregations of people create 
an intensity of ideas and creativity and uh, communal political arrangements that you don't get in more rural or nomadic societies. Simon, there's that fabulous sketch in Monty Python's Life of Brian, you know, where the insurgents say, what have the Romans done for us, and, and cite the 50 million things that the Romans have brought love to it, their lives. Yeah, 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 so yeah. is that what it's about? The civilization hang off infrastructure and life-improving machines and, and ideas? Well, I think, I think it probably does. I mean, different civilizations would have different sets of those life-improving ideas that you mentioned. Uh, and I don't want to sound like John Cleese <laughs> here, which, I mean, I love that sketch. But, I mean, if you think about the West, just think about um, what the West has produced. I mean, modern medicine, antibiotics, antiseptics, the elimination of ancient endemic diseases, huge drop in what they call perinatal mortality, that is death, by, death around childbirth for women, so women can now lead longer and fuller lives, as well as have many more children than they used to if they choose. Great increases in average life expectancy, huge increases since the beginning of post-industrial Western Civ, huge scientific revolutions in communications, in energy, in technology, mass production, transport, on it goes. And, and perhaps crucially, Paul, the widespread kind of acceptance of ideas about democratic government, accountability of governments to their people, the widening participation of many more people in government than had ever been the case in any other civilization, including, you know, the gradual widening of the franchise to, to more and more voters after 1832 in Britain, you know, crucially the emancipation of women a doubling of the cultural capital available to the human race as a whole, potentially. So many things around freedom of trade, the transfer of ideas, the production of cheaper mass-produced goods, the means to transport and sell and buy them at long distances. All of these things had a, just a huge um, exponential increase in mass prosperity and, and standards of living all over the world dating from, I guess, the Enlightenment and the scientific revolutions and then the industrial revolution of the, of the 18th century. Simon, so, is there any definitive evidence that this stuff wouldn't have been possible without what we know as Western civilization? Would we still be living in grass huts, for example? <laughs> That's a good question. It's, alternative history is always a fun, a fun exercise. No, I don't think so, because it's not the only civilization that's ever existed by a very long shot. And, and even if the West, in some mysterious way, never had, You've still got Chinese civilization, Indian, Middle Eastern, you know. So there's, there's plenty of other ways or pathways that the human race could have taken, even if the West had never existed. But the fact is it did, and it's the pathway that all of us in Australia have mostly come, come from, you know. So what about this notion that it glorifies colonialism? Well, um, uh, <laughs> So glorifies is probably the wrong word. I think all civilizations, and not just I think, this is true, all civilizations are inevitably built on some level of oppression of others, uh, of minority races, of uh, component parts of the larger civilization. There is no such thing as a huge aggregation of human beings over time that doesn't involve some cruelty and oppression of, uh, um, of, of perhaps the, ru the ruling or governing classes to others and the West is no exception so there's no point pretending that didn't happen I think the interesting thing though about Western civilization 
and I'm not an I'm not an expert on this, let alone on other civilizations. But a great strength of ours has been that it is self-critical. So where there have been abuses, which have been common, there have also been voices who pointed out those abuses and sought to correct them. And I think that self-critical, self-correcting kind of quality of Western civilization has been most unusual. Uh, and so, so, in fact, so many of the criticisms of the West that one hears, including the one that you've mentioned, which are not wrong, have also come from the West itself. So it's got a great capacity for self-renewal through self-criticism. Simon Haynes will be with us for, for part two of the big interview after the news update and we'll have sport and weather of course and a look at traffic. Today in the big interview we're exploring Western civilization, what it is, some of the notable achievements and why understanding where we've come from is so important. Well it's big. Big, 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 big. Professor Simon Haynes is, is the CEO of the Ramsey Centre, which is an institution that promotes the study of Western civilisation. He's uh, been good enough to hang around and share his insights on the subject. Thanks for doing that, by the way, Simon. Good afternoon, Paul. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Simon, do you feel that the subject is a focus of some sort of cancel culture? We know that over the last few years, places all around Australia are being renamed, statues are being torn down, uh, for example. Is that troubling to you? Well, look, I mean, I'd have to say, Paul, at the outset, that this is not something we take a position on one way or the other. I mean, as you know, the Ramsey Centre is an education philanthropy, uh, philanthropical organisation. It's not, it's not a political one. Uh, you know, just, as a, just as, as a general observation, I would say that it is for communities to decide these things, as they always have in the West. If there are some parts of a community who think that a particular statue or a particular name has bad associations... Uh, then the argument should be had. This is the democratic way, this is what we've always done. If there are other parts of the community that think a particular name or association is too important to their identity to lose, then they should get a chance to say that too. And in the end, the decision should be taken by proper, rational discussion rather than by angrily burning things or pulling things down. I suppose that's what I'd say. And if, if in the end the society or the community decides that it wants to change the name of something or remove some reference to something, then so be it. That's, that's the democratic way. That's its decision. What do we risk losing if we forget our history? Well, you know, that's, that's, I guess that's the $64,000 question and in, in a sense why we exist. If you, if, if you lose your history, you know, and I take the point that there's arguments about whose history are we trying to retain and whose history are we trying to lose. And, you know, there'd be a lot of people who say that the West has suppressed um, some histories in, in the course of its growth and I, I, I accept that. But, but on the whole, if you lose your history, you lose your identity. It's like a family, you know, like a person who loses all trace of where their family came from, where their father and their mother were born, what their grandparents did, where they came from. You see all these shows, I was watching one on SBS last night, Jennifer Byrne tracking her family history back to, I can't remember, it was castles in England somewhere, but whatever it might be, people love to know and need to know about their sources and their roots and their ancestors and where they're from. And... It, this seems to me completely uncontroversial. And if you don't do it, if you don't know where you're from, 
then in an important sense, you don't know who you are, you know. And there's, there's that very famous, I mean, there's a million famous sayings that on desk diaries and what have you about this kind of thing, but essentially those who don't know their past are doomed to repeat it, is one of them. If you don't know who you are, you're going to make mistakes. If you don't know the difference between where you came from and where you are now, how are you going to think about the difference between where you are now and where you want to be in the future? Knowing the past is part of progressing, part of growth. Uh, recognizing who you are now is, you know, essentially you have to know who you were before. And so, you know, so the answer to your question is we'd be in a mess if we forgot our past. Simon, from a scholar's perspective, have we refined Western civilization? Is it at its peak or is it organically changing all the time? Are we, are we learning? Are we getting better? Uh, that's a really hard question because it raises so many different issues. I mean, the question whether we're getting better is kind of a question about are we progressing? Is, is history progressive? Do human beings gradually get better and better and, and in what sense? I mean, I mentioned a whole, you know, Monty Python list of all the things that I think the West has done to make us better. And, and it has, it has, particularly in medicine and science and standard of living and, and the economy. Uh, all of those things have made us better. But there are other things that, that, that we need to work harder at, being more representative, being more inclusive, etc. Um, are we at a peak? Well, people have been writing books about the decline of the West for at least 100 years. The famous one by Oswald Spengler was called The Decline of the West, and I think he wrote that almost exactly 100 years ago, around the time of World War I, when it looked as if the West had had it, you know. Um, so That's another Monty Python sketch. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, like Mark Twain said, reports of when he read some false newspaper account that he died, he said, reports of my demise are exaggerated. And, and, and I think uh, people like to, like to predict that the West is in decline or that it's, you know, it's the, the civilization past its peak. I don't know, Paul. I doubt it. There's so much creativity. Uh, it's such a long and rich history of, of self-critical growth, put it that way, that I would be very, very hesitant about writing that off. I mean, I think that said, the West also has a tradition of people who are anti-civilization. Uh, there are many names in that, in that history, including most famously perhaps the one of um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the French-Swiss philosopher from the, from the 18th century, who, 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 who basically thought that the history of civilization was a history of gradual decline in the nobility and goodness of human beings, that they were only ever really good when they were in a, an original state in the primeval jungle, uh, and that everything since then, including agriculture, uh, was, a, was a step for the worse, and we should return to that original state. There's, there is that strand. It's a, it's a long strand in Western thought, uh, and it's still there. And I think there are still people who are kind of attracted to this idea that the whole of civilization is a dreadful mistake and full of corruption and evil, and we should throw it away and start again. <laughs> I, would, um, I would hesitate a long time before recommending that. Simon, so, we started with a definition. Let's end there as well with a question that, focuses on globalisation and whether or not that has the prospect of blurring boundaries between what we call Western civilization and the rest. Absolutely. Blurring boundaries. I mean, I think, I think globalisation is the latest step 
in a process that's been unfolding gradually ever since at least the, 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 the end of the 18th, early 19th century, where the awareness of different parts of the world of each other has been increasing and increasing, and the level of interchange between cultures and societies and civilizations has just exponentially grown, uh, um, especially post, post-war. So, so boundaries are indeed being blurred, uh, and so, so I guess the question is, is there going to be a thing called world civilization in the future, which is a kind of merger of what we've been talking about with, you know, the civilizations of South Asia or East Asia or what have you. And yeah, I, I, guess, that's, I guess that's all possible. I guess my point there, though, would be that so much of what has made globalization itself possible has derived from Western inventions and creations in industry and transport and science and technology. So there will always be a foundational role that the West has played in globalization itself, you know, including, including the, the major international organizations like the WTO and the UN, mostly post-war creations after the settlement of uh, post-Second World War, which are Western ideas. That's a brilliant point to finish on. Simon Haynes, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Very grateful to you for having me on the show. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Paul. Professor Simon Haynes is the CEO of the Ramsey Centre, talking about Western civilization, And it's 11 to 5.